Radical Truth is a podcast produced by TBLI Group and hosted by Robert Rubenstein. TBLI is making the financial system work for all. Our podcasts cover the wide range of ESG and impact investing topics. What it is, why is it booming, is it really helping, is impact regenerative in nature? How will climate change impact investments? There will be regular interviews with thought leaders, some known, some not known, but all brilliant, and we will have engaging conversations with all of them. Can we create an economy based upon well-being? Let's make the financial system work for all. This is Radical Truth. Purpose Investment. Unleashing the power of purpose and self-determination with our guest Armin Sturenagel. What will you learn? What are the alternatives to corporate governance? How does steward ownership contribute to build lasting businesses that preserve their mission? How does an alternative governance structure protect companies from extractive capital? This is Radical Truth. Our speaker today is Armin Sturenagel. I hope I got that correct. He's the co-founder of Purpose. He is a venture capitalist. He's a consultant. Uh, he's a, it's a hybrid. It's a profit and a non-profit and maybe even a not-for-loss. And he's going to share with us their model of creating a different economic business model, which will allow companies to thrive but actually benefit more stakeholders. Armin, thank you so much for coming today. For those of you who are not who are from a different planet and never heard of you, please tell us briefly who you are and what you do. I will go on mute. Sure. Thank you so much, Robert, for, for inviting me and for the nice introduction. Welcome, everybody. Um, it's afternoon here in uh, Germany, from which I'm speaking in the middle of Germany. Hope you're doing fine wherever you are. Um, yeah, quick introduction, um, Robert. I... Uh, I'm an entrepreneur. I started my first company uh, at the age of 16, a second um, with 22, and all in the impact space. The first one was um, sustainable toys. The second one, organic food for children, Mowgli, it's called. And um, in the meantime, I'm more busy with uh, a topic which, um, yeah, which was uh, or a problem which I had as an impact-oriented company because... I told all my um, my colleagues, all my employees every day, you know, we are getting up every morning to save the world to a certain extent, at least. We want to we work for a purpose. Well, we are working for a purpose. We're working for children uh, to get not the junk food, but the organic and the healthy food. And one day, um, one of my colleagues, Sarah, she came to me and said, Armin, wait a minute. You are always saying we're working for a purpose. But is that actually true? Are we actually working for, you know, to, to get children healthy food and, and uh, to, to their homes? Or are we, aren't we actually working for you, for your wealth? Isn't like every email that I type, every, every phone call that I make increasing the exit price of your startup? And uh, I was saying, Sarah, you know, that in normal companies that might be the case, but we are sustainable, impact-focused companies a company, you know, that's different here. But then I realized it wasn't Sarah who was wrong, but I was actually wrong because juridically, like legally, she was obviously right. Um, de facto, she was working for my wealth because I could sell the company for my wealth. I could maybe I, you know, give it to my children. They could sell it. So indeed, I realized the, the kind of ownership structure we have um, structures a company in the following way. It says, here's a company, the, it, it fulfills certain purposes, it does certain things, but indeed the company's wealth belongs to the owners and indeed the, 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 if you help the company, you, you help increase the wealth of the owners. And um, for me, that, that concept was somehow strange. It felt like that, that, that's not what I, what I wanted. I wanted to work for a company that is, I uh, wanted to found a company that has a purpose and I wanted to work with everybody on that purpose, pay our, ourselves fair wages, but not 
say, you know, everything under a company is ours. We wanted to say this, the company serves a purpose. And I realized this kind of concept of a company serving a purpose and having owners who control it, but who cannot, who cannot um, extract everything because the wealth is serving the purpose. This kind of concept is totally foreign to the current, um, to the current way of, of, company structure and company thinking. Why? Because the, the co concept of a company was invented hundreds of years ago, especially our legal forms, the Inc. or in the Netherlands, the BV or um, what, what not in Germany, the GmbH. You know, all, all these things were invented in, in the industrial age 120 years ago uh, in a time in which Profit was the main and was to a certain extent um, totally, you know, it, it was totally normal that you as the owner, you, of course, you are working for your wealth. Uh, but now we see a generation of founders and yeah, maybe I'm uh, one of them, I hope, <laughs> a generation of founders who want to, who say, well, we are, indeed, we are um, entrepreneurs, but the main focus is not um, maximizing our wealth, but the main focus is creating a purpose. And um, we want to legally change the operating system, basically, of the company in a way that we ensure and we promise to the entire world this company is working for a purpose. Okay, so this is this is basically how I came to this topic, and now I'm um, I'm sharing my screen. Uh, here we go. So, yeah, I, I told you. Do you see the second slide, Robert? Is it um, is it functioning? Yes. Yeah, wonderful. Um, uh, what what you see is um, an event we did pre-corona, obviously, <laughs> um, uh, which was called "Why Self-Owned Companies Are Needed to Unfuck Our Economy." A little bit provocative in the title, but um, around seven hundred young entrepreneurs coming in Berlin. We did this event several times. Uh, we were swamped by, you know, it, in it, I think 1,500 registered for that event. Just 700 could come for for a topic which is to to a certain extent abstract. How can we rethink ownership? How can we rethink the operating system of a company? But we see this young generation saying, "We want to do this." You know, we want to get one step further. We want to change the core of capitalism to a certain extent, the company structure and um, for our businesses, not for the others. You know, we don't want to be paternalistic and tell everybody else what they should do, but we want, we as founders want to do this. And um, this uh, new generation of founders has basically um, has started a big debate in Germany, which is in all the newspapers in the meantime, on the question of should we have new legal forms for companies and more than a thousand two hundred uh, entrepreneurs also big ones uh, like Bosch, Otto and others uh, came together and demanded from the German government we need besides the the old legal forms we need a new one basically a purpose corporation that in, that promises to everybody um, the owners cannot take our dividends the owners um, are here to control the business are here to give it to the next generation of of value of a value family, not automatically the the blood family, but people who who are working in the business, people who feel connected to the business. And that kind of new operating system is discussed, as you see, in all the big German newspapers. And this is just a very small um, uh, selection um, and uh, discussed with the politicians. We have here our vice chancellor Olaf Scholz. We have. Um, Robert Habeck, the head of the Green Party, is probably going to win this, uh, or maybe going to win the the, the next election. And um, so, so yeah, I just wanted to s tell this to you because you are obviously an uh, international audience, and I'm the last months totally in this German uh, movement because we are lobbying for this new legal form very, very um, uh, in uh, intensively, and um, but. And, but we're seeing, of course, also movements in the U.S. and Latin, uh, Latin America and, and everywhere else. Uh, Purpose, the Purpose Foundation, which I co-founded, is active around the world in Latin America, U.S., etc. 
um, for this kind of new concept. And what's the name? We call it steward ownership. Um, basically, um, yeah, here are some companies that have realized steward ownership already. It's like Bosch. Anatua is the biggest organic food brand of Germany. Um, IKEA, just to a certain extent, but I put it here as well. Mozilla Firefox, Ecosia, it's a search engine that plants trees. What are all of these companies um, doing? They, they are realizing the two principles of steward ownership. The two principles are first, self-governance, which which says the majority of the voting rights is held always within the company in the hands of people who are connected to the company. That means it, it functions a little bit, you could say, like a law lawyer's partnership or an partnership. The people who are there govern the company. If you are stopping, stopping to be connected to the company, you give your, your governance rights back. You cannot sell your governance rights, obviously. You cannot give them automatically to your children, just if the other co-partners are accepting this. So it's self-governance of the company. And the second one is what we sometimes call the purpose asset lock or the purpose principle. The company is working for a purpose. That means profits are reinvested or donated. Everybody gets a fair um, salary. Investors get a fair return. That's possible. But all the returns, all the salaries are kept at a certain point, which is market rate. Um, market rate returns and market um, market salaries is the highest you can pay out here. And the rest is kept in the company in order to serve the purpose of the company. Um, basically, steward ownership is, you could say, very uh, boring because it's just, it is just codifying principles which family-owned companies uh, have often uh, adhered to in the last 100 years, 200 years, you know, by tradition. Family-owned companies, by tradition, often reinvest most of the, uh, the money. By tradition, always give the ownership to people who really connect to the company and not to anonymous inve investors. So this is, this is somehow something which we could say is very traditional, but steward ownership is, is uh, in that sense, boring. And, and on the other hand, it is very radical. Why? Because it redefines ownership and redefines the connection of money and power. And we are usually used to the principle that, you know, the more money I invest, the more power I get. The more money I invest in a stock market company or in any company, the more voting rights you have. So governance and finance is, is connected quite closely. And steward ownership is the first ownership form that detaches this completely. Um, because it says the power distribution is and, and the, the governance is completely separated from um, from the from the monetary side. You're not uh, as the power holder. You are not able to access the money pool of the company. And the second thing why it's maybe um, uh, um, why it's it's maybe radical is because it says it, it, the principle of steward ownership says. It, the, the company should be always given to people who are connected to the company. If they happen to be born into a family um, that holds the company, fine. But the, 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 the lottery of sperms, you know, the inheritance, is not automatically the principle by which the company is given to the next generation. And so I would say steward-owned companies are a third category. You have the family-owned companies. They pass on power and control according to the principle of blood genetic the same genes go through the through the blood of these people we have the the, the stock market companies the principle here according to which you can get control is money and it's your ownership it's more ability and value alignment are you aligned to the company do you have abilities and then you are yeah, a little bit like a law partnership chosen to be on board, this can be many employees. This can be just a few a smaller group. This is very different from company to company. So, so what uh, steward ownership is doing effectively is detaching money and power. And the question obviously is, which many investors and many people are asking, can that work? You know, some when I was studying in the U.S. at the Columbia, they were saying, Armin, this is a nice European romantic idea. This cannot work. But the good thing is, it can work. We do have a lot of steward-owned companies in Denmark. Um, often uh, with the help of foundations. So they are owned by foundations. 
And what we see is what I, I'm just showing uh, to you here is they have a much more long-term focus. The, the effect of such an ownership structure of stewards who are governing the company without the access to the wealth is that they are much more long-term oriented. So this is a comparison of normal companies and foundation-owned steward-owned companies in Denmark. And we see after 40 years here on the, on the X axis, um, you have a six times higher survival probability of steward-owned companies. And we see many other things. These companies are, have the same or even better profitability. They pay higher wages to, to the employees. They have a higher employee retention rate and many other things. These are all studies that um, have been done um, because in Denmark, as I said, there are more than 1,200 companies that work like this. Now, the question obviously is, um, well, be, before I go before I go into the, the question of investment, I want to say one um, uh, I want to say one word um, to to the to the question of how are you actually realizing steward ownership in different jurisdictions? And one way is to do use a foundation. Another way in the, in the U.S., for example, is uh, to use a perpetual purpose trust. In Germany, we are actively lobbying for a new separate legal form, as I said. And then there is another model that we call the veto share model, which is the most used model, in my opinion, at the moment, uh, which basically uses the current legal framework and, uh, and just rewrites the rules in, the, for example, in the BV, in the Inc., and says the new rules can only be changed with 100% majority. And one golden share, one veto share is held is given to a foundation, a steward ownership foundation, um, that is in its charter, always vetoes any attempt of the company to, to basically um, unwind or, um, steward ownership and f fall behind the, the promise that the founders have given that this company works for a purpose and not primarily for their wealth. Um, yeah, so this is um, uh, this 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 maybe to to the legal um, question. Now I'm I'm starting my my screen sharing again because I, I want to quickly before we go to the questions. Um, I wanted to uh, talk about investments because obviously we are talking about impact investments here in this in this um, series of of seminars um, quite often. I saw my colleague Johan Vermut um, was here. Um, a few what, weeks ago. Um, what, what is our... The one thing investors always ask is, can we actually invest in student companies? The answer is yes, you can. Uh, the, only, the only thing that it differs, maybe we even have that... Um, uh, yeah, the, I, I, I come to that in a minute. Um, the only thing that differs is that you are... Um, not holding voting rights and that you are capping your upside. That means mostly you are investing in mezzanine structures. Uh, it can be also just normal shares, but mostly without voting rights, preferred shares, you get, you get dividend to a certain extent and you are capping your, your upside at 2x, 3x, whatever, depending on the risk of the company. Um, so you are saying as well, um, not, not, you could say, not only the founders are capping their upside by saying we get a fair founder compensation, we get um, a set good salary, but in the end, the rest of the wealth is kept in the company for the purpose. The same promise you also get from investors. So, yeah, everybody leaves something in the, in the pot for the purpose. Um, why do I think this is an important concept for, for impact investing? Very simple. Uh, what's the goal of impact investment is long-term impact creation and impact-oriented companies. We all want to create impact-oriented companies. And I'm myself also an impact investor uh, with two funds, um, Purpose Ventures and Purpose Evergreen Capital. But the question I, I um, got from a lot of impact investors is how can we ensure mission orientation after the investment period? And of course, one solution can be that you're only investing in companies which, uh, which have an alignment of profit maximization and impact maximization. So the more um, products they sell, the more um, impact they create. But often, I would say, and this is a debated topic, but I, my claim would be in most companies you have a trade-off. And, and this trade-off uh, of profit or impact maximization. And the question is, how can you ensure that 
that founders are not that you are not just giving you know good impact money sometimes below market rate returns and later the founders or others are are basically profiting from this not by uh, privately by by for example uh, you know um, focusing more on profit and 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 um, and uh, diluting emission and shared ownership is a solution not only for the for the founders who want to promise credibly to the entire world we're working for the prom- purpose it's also a nice tool for investors that's what we realized to really ensure this company we're investing in stays mission driven in a very long term even in you know 50 years uh, and longer so i think this is a powerful tool um uh yeah people like the the founder of kickstarter perry chen has um uh, found that as well um Now, just one word, what, what, what are we doing uh, with our funds? We have Purpose Ventures and Purpose Evergreen Capital. We do invest in young companies, um, in startups with Purpose Ventures, who are steward-owned from the beginning. Uh, and we do have an Evergreen uh, fund for the more mature companies, for, let's say, impact-oriented uh, family companies who don't have successes in the family um, but who have able people in the employeeship who take over uh, as stewards. And a good thing um, compared to, for example, normal management buyout is if you are a steward, you don't have to buy the company for millions and, and uh, have a lot of debt because as a steward, you are getting the control rights more or less for free because it's not connected to the, to the monetary um, side of things. Um, and... Uh, but we also do invest, for example, in impact-oriented companies that are um, looking for buyouts or, or for secondaries and who want to put steward ownership in place later. For example, um, maybe you know in the U.S. or uh, one of the biggest organic wholesalers, OGC, that set up steward ownership with our help. We were the lead investor there to buy out um, a lot of investors and set up steward ownership. Uh, and and avoid a sell to a big multinational. Um, and startups, uh, here is an, uh, an example of a startup, Shadrip in Finland, um, uh, and here's an example. But I think that this is maybe too, too detailed for now. Maybe we can talk about this in the discussion if you are interested in this. Uh, you find more information on www.purpose.com dot ag slash book uh, in English or Buch in Deutsch um, with a lot of examples and also on our website you find much more. I think that is um, for the for the first for first introduction maybe enough and now I'm very curious uh, to hear what you are interested in and then we can maybe dive a little bit deeper into the topic. Yeah, thank you, Armin. I had I had a couple of questions before I open it up. How large is your fund? Can you say that? Yeah. Um, so both funds together manage 50 million, and the one is 30, and the other one 20. Okay. And do you have difficult? Because I saw you actually invested in one of the companies we use, Buffer. Um, do you have difficulty? I mean, the concept of purpose. What is purpose? You know, if you if you listen to Uh, Richard Branson, he's full of purpose, but his core business is still doing <laughs> I got it, yeah. You know, or Ariana Huffington, I'm full of purpose, but what I do is I have everybody work as slave laborers writing for free, and then I flip the company for three, four hundred million dollars, and I keep all the money myself. So she also had purpose with Huffington Post. Um, and uh, B Corp also, uh, everyone is basically funding b corp to build that brand so how do you determine what is purpose yeah that's it's a very uh, that's a very good question um uh just to the note of buffer buffer is not steward owned we we were on the way that's why we invested a little bit now we're getting out because because the founder interestingly says i'm not there yet that this company has a real um, a purpose that I would say it should become steward owned. He says, because, you know, what, what are you doing with steward ownership? You're changing the driver of the company, the motor. If you, if your purpose is 
create some social media tools and you're not so passionate about this social media tool, um, obviously you are dependent on another driver, which is dividends, money. It's also a nice driver. If you're turning off this driver, if you're turning off the engine of capitalism, as some um, researchers are, are saying about seared ownership, which I don't think is the case because I would define capitalism a little bit broader and I would say this is capitalism, what we're doing, but that's a different debate. Um, but if, you are, if you're turning off this driver, the money driver, as a founder, you as a founder, you have to be, or, or as employees, you have to be motivated by something else. And that means your company needs to follow a purpose that gets you going in the morning. And that's why we saw that the inter there is a, an extreme selection um, effect going on of the companies that are coming to us that want to do steward ownership are always companies with a purpose, um, which many, many people can burn for. Mm. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. You know? Otherwise, they would risk the company's motivation to go away. So um, I actually even had, um, uh, and that's why that's why we as we as an organization we say steward ownership is in. We don't define what is a good or what is a bad company, what is a good or bad purpose, because we think that is an evolving concept. We cannot see what is a good purpose in 20 years. We are not a Catholic church to say what is good or evil. Mm -hmm. um, we we think that is something the people on the ground um, should say. And the only promise your ownership is giving, you're working not mainly for the money, but for a purpose. And this purpose can be also, indeed, something that you don't think is a good purpose. Um, but this is, this is the, it's a liberal uh, concept to, to, uh, to that extent. But what we see is um, it's, the concept functions only with purposes that, gets, that get people going. And so that's the reason why, why the most, mostly sustainable companies, impact companies are using this. We do also see some big family-owned companies uh, doing this, but, um, and they are, who, who, are, who are focused on, uh, yeah, also on, on, on value creation, long-term value creation. Um, yeah, maybe that maybe that answered a little bit uh, your question. So we are not prescribing a purpose, uh, mm. and and this question is delegated to the people who on the ground. Um, yeah, but you're you um, you are. I would say probably most of your work and the time and the staff that you have are dedicated to educating companies about. Um, this new concept of stewardship uh, because you're, uh, the fund is you're, you invest or you don't invest and but most of the work is trying to change the mindset. Yeah, exactly. The funds are, the, the question just was um, our main idea is we, we want to get this new concept into the world because we believe uh, it can help a lot of employees when, uh, and, and companies. When I did this with my company, so many um, entrepreneurs came to me and said, Armin, this is what we also want to do. And I often hold, um, hold uh, talks in front of entrepreneurs who say, well, this is what I felt the whole time, but I didn't have the language to say, you know, that is exactly the way I want to do business, but I didn't have the language for it. So I think we are a language provider for a new generation of, um, of founders. And um, while we were doing this, They, they asked, how can we fund such a company? And we obviously said, okay, obviously you have to, you have to make sure the steward ownership principles um, uh, are not broken. That means you don't, the, the investors are enablers and not owners. They, uh, they don't get the control. Um, and uh, when we started five, six years ago, a lot of investors said, you're crazy, you know, that's why we started our own funds to, to show it functions. And we had a lot of um, investors joining us, like BMW Foundation or in the Netherlands, Dune, the, the Dutch lottery fund, um, and saying, well, that's such an interesting concept. We want to we wanna co-invest there. Um, there. There are so many interesting questions. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to jump. I just want to, one quick question. Is there a big, I would imagine this seems to resonate with some Western or Northern European people where 
in the U.S., which is very much about flipping the company as quickly as possible, it, ha it resonates less or it might resonate more with Japanese who have 700-year-old companies. Do you find a, a, a geographic difference in how people respond? We have a, the most openness, I would say, in, in, in Central Europe and Latin America. Ah, okay. and, yeah, Latin America is, I think, against their will somehow, uh, their deep will. Um, they have you know, adapted the American way of capitalism to a certain extent, and they are looking for alternatives. And we've seen this in Chile. Mm. Uh, we've seen this in other countries, and there's a lot of demand there. In the U.S., we're active as well, and there's obviously, I would say in the U.S., the capitalism um, is much deeper in the bones of people, if, if I may be that arrogant as a European to say that. Um, but what we see is that often student ownership takes a little bit more explanation uh, in the U.S., but there's also a big need. And because many see the system is somehow broken, uh, so, so that's why we have several colleagues in the Bay Area uh, who invest in the U.S. and who, who do a lot of ad, uh, advising work and, uh, and, yeah, and, okay. and bringing the idea field, field building. I'm going to start taking the questions. So Rika wanted to know, um, uh, family office, would you say that steward ownership model is a level or more higher than the U.S. B Corp? Um, it is completely different, and I would say it's higher. <laughs> but why is it different? Um, B Corp basically doesn't touch the power structure itself. It doesn't touch the ownership. It just says... B, B Corp focuses on the output of a company. It says, independent of whether it's mainly greedy shareholders owning this company or people who are um, connected to the company, we don't care. The question is, what kind of metrics do, does this company produce? And then you have the B Corp certificate. And of course, there's some some other thing which is, you know, not you you cannot be sued um, if you're B Corp for not following the shareholder value paradigm. But indeed, it's not changing the power structures. What we are proposing is not an output metric, which is B Corp, and like measuring the outputs. We are changing the DNA itself. We are changing the input. We're changing the motivation of the company. You know, instead of... Um, yeah. And, and I think that the reason why we're supported, by the way, also by many people who love B Corp, and by many people who have been co-founding this, like Albert Wenger, the managing partner of Union Square Ventures, one of the mm -hmm. most successful venture capital fund, who is investor and also advisory board member uh, at Purpose. He is, um, he, you know, he knows the story of Etsy, for example, a B Corp company. And once it was on the stock market, the B Corp thing was suddenly not important uh, because investors pushed for returns. And the company that that mm -hmm. that's mission was to, to bring handcrafted products to the people again has become a platform for Chinese uh, manufacturing sites to sell uh, with a very nice branding their products to the U.S. So they have a mission drift and they threw out B Corp. And why? Because the, the governance, the DNA of the ownership wasn't tackled because people could buy the, the, the majority in the company who are not connected to the purpose, but who see this as a nice impact investing maybe, but actually are uh, interested in the return. And so that's why we think um, and why he thinks and many others long-term, if you, if you want to ensure that the company stays on mission, you have to decouple the economic side and the voting side, give the voting rights to, to stewards and have investors um, <coughs> have economic rights um, in, in certain ways. Um, get, they should get fair returns. That's not a question. You know? Uh, Fabrice wanted to know, do these companies really survive better or is it just that they don't get so actively merged or acquired? <coughs> Classical companies might not survive, but the bought merged into yeah. others. Yeah, and um, <clears throat> this is a good question. Um, I don't have the answer for the statistic I, I showed you in, the, in Denmark. I just know that uh, what they calculated is um, 
one, one, one effect which you have is some companies are choosing steward ownership, especially a little bit later in their period, um, like the Danish companies. In Germany, we have a lot of young steward-owned companies, but over there. So they, they took that effect out of the statistics. So you see already um, uh, the, the, a little bit more true statistic. But um, we, of course, that's something we don't really know. But what we know is in the financial crisis, we had in Denmark um, a big, also uh, we, we do have in Denmark and in Sweden, we do have very good functioning um, uh, what do you say, say um, bio, um, uh, like uh, ecosystems of companies that are active in the, in the um, uh, bio, uh, bio, um, bio industry, biotechnique industry. And um, in the financial crisis, all the companies in Sweden were basically bought by US investors or Chinese investors. And the Danish weren't because it's not possible. And the Danish are very, very um, proud of this. And when you speak to Danish people on the street, why they like their student companies, that's the thing they say, you know, Zap, Volvo, all the um, well-known Swedish company are gone. Sweden has lost all those companies um, in crises. And in Denmark, it's the opposite. Carlsberg, the beer, Velux uh, windows, uh, Lego, mask, uh, the mask um, shipping, shipping, all steward-owned, foundation-owned companies, um, and these are still in Denmark. Okay, Armin, I, uh, Arthur wanted to know: Are you familiar with the cooperative organization model? Sure, sure, I am. And the question often is: What's the difference? Um, the difference is uh, steward, uh, steward ownership is quite is a concept which is independent of a legal form. And the cooperative model is, of course, mostly, is in many countries, a legal form. Um, <clears throat> uh, and the cooperative model says one person, one vote. And, um, and the idea of the cooperative is we are helping each other. That's at least, you know, the gesture behind this. When Ralph Eisen, uh, um, I founded this here in Europe, um, and uh, the idea of steward ownership is a little bit different to the co-op. It's not a, not, some, not a big group that helps itself. It's a group of people working for a purpose. So it's more outward looking. It's more, um, it, it has a, not this gesture, but more this gesture, I would say. Um, and so that's why um, I think it's, it's the, the kind of asset lock we have in steward ownership. You don't see this in, in, in the co-op structure. You can put that in there with a veto ride and um, poison pills and all kinds of things, you can somehow try to create an asset lock, but it's not in the DNA of the co-op. So you can make a co-op steward-owned, um, and we do have steward-owned co-ops. Um, but in, in, the, in the original idea, co-op members can uh, get all the value that's in the co-op. And we often see this in the US and also in the, in the UK, that co-ops sell their big companies they own and make all the co-op members to millionaires. And uh, that means the, 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 not the purpose, but the wealth of the, comp uh, of the owners is, is, in this case, the most important thing. Um, yeah, it's, and the other thing is the, 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 the democracy, which is, which is in the DNA of the co-op, the one-person-one-vote thing. That's what, what's not um, prescribed in steward ownership. You have, a, you have a variety of governance models there. Uh, Michelle wanted to know, have you ever thought about models where every employee has a voting right as long as they work in the company? Yeah, sure. I like <laughs> it. I, I, I think this is the ultimate goal where we should um, steer to is uh, really a company that is self-steered in a way that, that uh, everybody who's who's working there is has a say i can say as an entrepreneur um having tried this that some employees just are not interested or i say well you know i have different interests i want to have a very good company here to work here but i'm i'm not interested in this and so that's why we're not prescribing it and i let me share um our governance quadrant um what we see is that 
Yes, steward ownership can be very democratic with companies saying every employee gets a vote or more meritocratic. Uh, that means the, the most value-aligned and able persons are chosen like in a lawyer partnership. So this is a, this, there's a continuum. You have some companies saying, you know, we do have an employee council selecting our the, the 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 owners and we have other companies saying well no we are selecting themselves but employees can fire them and you have all kinds of um shades of gray here and uh the other dimension in steward ownership is who are the stewards are these more insiders the entrepreneur the people who are working in there or are these more the outsiders the stakeholders the guardians And we have companies like, you know, the, that's the, Vala is the, the mother of Dr. Hauschke, a natural cosmetic company you might know, which Julia Roberts uses. So um, they, they are saying, well, we have guardians as stewards, people who are not actively working in a company. The same is true for Carlsberg, I mentioned in, the, in, in Denmark. In Denmark, you often have this guardian model, like people, they, they are more here on this side. And OGC in the US, I mentioned organically grown company, this, this wholesaler, they have an outsider democratic model. They say, well, we are including all the stakeholders. We do have some employees in there. We do have suppliers in there. We do have our customers in there. We do have the region in there. We have a stakeholder model. And we have other companies um, like this, this, uh, this is a big newspaper here in Germany. Biofalag, um, they say every journalist or every person who works here for more than two years becomes automatically an owner. So this is the, these are the dimensions of, of uh, who can become owner in, um, in student ownership. <clears throat> uh, Tanuja had a question. We have seen that nonprofits jump into very high risk fields. And then when it has been de-risked, then traditional for-profits are willing to come in. This is another case of privatization of profits and socialization of loss. Will steward ownership help in this case? Absolutely. This is actually, <laughs> it's a good question because um, in steward ownership, you know, the, the, the value which is created is created for the purpose of the company. Even if the company is dissolved, um, everybody gets the fair, you know, gets back the investment, maybe a, a fair return on top, but the rest is, needs to be donated if the company is dissolved to a charitable purpose, which, which has a connection to the company. So the wealth which you're creating here cannot be privatized. So exactly what you are saying, um, you, you can do, we had investors who decided to donate to the steward on company because they, they knew, they knew This is so high risk, you know, this is so that will take a lot. Why don't we just donate? Because we're not donating to private persons who will then later buy themselves the biggest cars and that was a waste of money. No, um, we are um, donating to a purpose. And the same, that's what, by the way, the same is true for, for employees who are donating their time. Uh, yet now in the Corona crisis, we saw many companies uh, in steward ownership who had obviously also problems like other companies and People voluntarily said, you know, I, I, I need less salary. Please pay this pregnant woman a little more or whatever. Um, and they do this without, uh, without big problems because they know they are not sacrificing something. And later, a shareholder is, is privatizing this kind of donation. But <clears throat> this is um, for the purpose of the company. And for the company, the same as with the intrinsic motivation of the employees. We see in Germany that it starts to be really a, a, a um, um, competitive advantage. People, they, uh, you see, we, I have many reports from companies who became steward owners who are saying we get a different quality of, of applicants for our jobs who are saying, well, we, I come here because of that. Derek wanted to know, as a next step, do you see the emergence of dynamic purpose ecosystems combining complementary purpose organizations. Could you share some examples? Yeah, this is a... You have so interesting questions. <laughs> this We is, always have a great bunch. <laughs> this, is, um, this is indeed uh, a very interesting field. Uh, I just had this with um, a very successful startup uh, which produces hygienic products in Germany, Einhorn. They are steward-owned, and their goal was to create a new 
sustainable Procter and Gamble. Uh, they do everything very sustainable. They're quite successful. And now they realize why should we do this alone? Um, if we're steward owned, it doesn't make sense to have all the different things we want to do toilet paper, condoms, uh, you know, tampons, whatever, in one company. We, we have a strong brand. Let's just say every entrepreneur who has a good idea can apply here. We give our brand, as long as you are steward owned, You can be part of our network. We help with the marketing. We help with the brand. It's not a franchise model. It's a corporation model. And we become like the next Procter Gamble, but not as a, as a multinational top-down company with one CEO, but as a network. Suddenly, you know, steward ownership can tear down the borders between companies and can allow cooperation because the egoistic driver against cooperation Uh, which is, you know, we need, to, we need to work for our shareholders and not for your shareholders, is a way. Mm. Melanie, uh, who's a very big fan of yours, um, she had some comments and a question. Companies that can't exit are the way we need to go. However, I've been shocked by the amount of steward ownership washing lately. For example, in the Netherlands, certain startup calls themselves steward-owned, but had a clause in their... <laughs> crowd investment prospectus paying the directors 200k a year plus 3 million euro exit bonus while investees are taking all the financial risk i also heard oh. a different story about the ceo of a steward owned company paying himself a universal basic income for life after leaving the company while nobody else in the company gets such a sweet deal both examples seem highly extractive to me my question is why doesn't steward ownership explicitly put caps on compensation salary, bonus, pensions, to prevent these forms of extraction from happening? Mm -hmm. Or are you already requiring compensation caps on these? Uh, we are. Uh, we, we are. Um, like, if you're really steward-owned, there are compensation caps. Um, uh, and uh, it's interesting that you see the steward ownership washing in the Netherlands. That's new to me, uh, but <laughs> interesting. Uh, um, obviously, that, that's not a company which is steward-owned with, with the kind of 3 million exit bonus. Um, but uh, what I can say about the CEO you are, who gets a universal basic income for life, um, I can put it in context because I know the case. It's exactly what I was just talking about, Einhorn. Um, the idea there was, uh, you know, they put a lot of risk uh, or, or they risked a lot uh, when they started the company. They stopped all their jobs. They, they had nothing. And um, the idea was that certain founder compensation or pension is paid to them because as a founder in Germany, you are not in a normal pension scheme fund. You have to invest for your pension. And normally people say, my company is my pension. If you are a steward on company, your company is not your pension anymore because you can't sell it. So you need, a, you need something else. And that's why in this particular case, the founders have said, And they proposed this to all their employees and voted on this. And all their employees voted on this. They said, we want, as the two founders, we are now going to steward ownership. If we stay here for 15 years, um, we want to get an, uh, like a basic income for 15 years. If we stay here for 20 years, for 20 years. And if we stay over 25 years for the lifetime, that is our pension and this is our founder compensation. This is not a lot of money compared to what the company is worth, you know, millions and millions. They are taking out a little bit and this is, um, and all the employees said, this is a totally fair compensation. They voted on this. I, uh, they, all, all of the employees came to the ceremony when we made it steward owned. I know many of them, they're totally fine with this and all of the others at least if you are if you are referring to this example all of the others are totally fine with this and it's totally in the limits um but indeed it is a special founder compensation which we allow because you do have a lot of founders who say well if i if you know i invest all my time in this startup my relationship breaks and everything it, 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 i just do everything for this babies i want to have some freedom One, if it functions and if the company is really successful. And that's, that's uh, the case here. Uh, Hannes wanted to know, would you say that there is no real commitment uh, to social entrepreneurship or impact investing without changes in the legal DNA of these ventures as defined in steward ownership? 
I would say, you know, you can commit in all kinds of ways. And the, the legal commitment is just the, the, well, it, it, it makes it, it brings things really down and it, and it can show how strong the commitment is. And it, it, you cannot hide anymore. You know, we, we had often and we're not saying, oh, student ownership, nice. And then they are reading the terms and how exactly it's done. And then suddenly they realize, oh, that means, you know, I can't exit in the normal way, etc. And then they're not doing it. Um, steward ownership is what we, what we often observe an accelerator for truth because you are realizing why am I active? Uh, I have often founding teams who want to do steward ownership. And then some people want to do this and others are realizing them. I, I can't, somehow I can't do this. I'm in here also for, for a good exit, etc. And then, you know, I don't want to judge this, but student ownership brings this out. And we've seen founding teams separating themselves and others saying, steward ownership, we've done it, but even if we haven't done, uh, if we wouldn't have done it, the, the debate we, we got through the, through thinking about steward ownership was a debate which was so, so fruitful and so important for us as the founding team to realize, why am I sitting here? Because steward ownership asked the question, why are we doing this if it's not for the money? Okay. Um, Jeffrey wanted to know, what does it take to register a steward-owned company in the U.S. today? If um, you can call my my colleagues uh, in, who will help you with this, uh, Camille, for example, Camille at purpose.ag, um, uh, can contact her um, or just go on our website and contact us. Um, what does it take? Um, for a big company, the, the best solution probably is the Perpetual Purpose Trust. This is a little bit more, um, it, well, a solution that takes, Probably you need 15,000, 20,000 at least. And if you're a big company, much more um, to, to set this up. For small companies, we have the so-called golden share model, which I explained. You're changing the charter of the company and you have this video share. This can be done much cheaper. Um, and US companies have done it, like Zealware, for example, a New York-based um, eco-fashion company. Brian wanted to know, with this steward ownership model, be governed by a trust would a voluntary covenant relationship encourage the members of the organization to acknowledge their position in respects to jurisdiction and could this ecosystem create an autonomous environment for those that adapt this model adopt this model uh would this student be governed by a trust no, to acknowledge their position in respect to jurisdiction this is a I'm trying to understand this question. Could this ecosystem create an autonomous environment for those that adopt this model? I can't answer this question. I can just say, yes, you can have a trust um, governing uh, a, a steward company and then the steward, the trust is the steward owner to a certain extent. That's possible. That's one legal way to do this. Um, yeah. It's okay. Um, Gitan had a very specific question. How would you compare this with BrewDog's Equity for Punks? I'm, I'm not familiar with that company. Me neither, to be honest. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but uh, there was a question, if I may answer this, sure. um, by Tanuya. Um, what is the growth model for student yeah. ownership, IPO debt, and, and so on? Um, in general, an IPO is possible under certain... Um, certain conditions and you know the conditions already no voting rights to investors uh, so what what we see for example is that carlsberg is on the stock market but there's no voting right on the stock market mm -hmm. and the voting how much profit is reinvested and how much profit is given to the investors is not done by investors but by the stewards who have the who are not themselves profiting but who are profit who are looking for the company so so basically um, there is a certain way, to, I call it a Danish IPO, is possible. Um, but we, but mostly founders who want to do steward ownership don't do this because they dislike the dynamics on the stock markets anyway. Uh, what is the growth model for them? 
um, not only that, by, but mezzanine uh, capital. So um, that that is um, demand dividend model or, or that that is uh, with a flexible interest rate or a silent partnership or you name it, you know, contracts. The, the main change is you as an investor, you're not the owner anymore. You are enabler and you're a contractor with the company. You have a contract that says, I invest so much, I get something in the long term, um, which is maybe, you know, this and this much, uh, has a cap. Um, yeah. Bertrand wanted to know the association legal structure owned by its members, uh, always with its purpose, seems quite close to the steward ownership structure when it comes to serve a purpose. Would you agree? I agree. Um, the only thing with the foundation is, uh, with the association is, um, in many, or in, in Germany, and I think also in other countries, you're not allowed to have um, business active associations. They always have an idealistic purpose, have to have an idealistic purpose, and uh, not a business purpose. Um, you can have an idealistic association as you're holding, but still then you, you can't have the business as a purpose. It's a little bit difficult. In Germany, it's impossible. Uh, that's the first thing. The second thing is you have also similar to the to the co-op a dem democracy model in the association, and some founders don't want this. Some founders say we want 30, 30, 30, and some have 10%, and a bit more flexibility. Yeah, this, this, but indeed, uh, the association uh, it goes quite a lot in this direction indeed yeah or not quite a lot it is steward owned um, if it's possible um to to make it uh, own a company uh Rekha wanted to know how can we make this steward ownership mainstream if you had a magic wand what what would you do or change you know is it farming or is it there's still some hunting possible <laughs> um How can we make it mainstream? Well, I, I would say um, two things. First is um, easy legal form to set this up. It is at the moment in many countries a hassle um, and it's doable. But, you know, this veto share model, I have to explain this to you. We need just a legal form that is your own full stop, like, you know, in ink. That's what we're doing in Germany. And then we try to copy this. And once we have that, I think you know it's taught at the universe, uh, taught sorry at the universities. Uh, um, people and, and all the lawyers have to think about these forms. So that is um, an acupuncture needle, and the other one is um, make funding available for for companies that are that are um, structured like this. Um, this is uh, also something which yeah has to be solved, and this is uh, solved, and this is the. Um, from a psychological point, uh, the probably most important thing, because we see a lot of investors being fascinated on about student ownership, and once it comes to actually investing, they are realizing that they are they have to step one they, they are taking one step back. They are not the powerful people anymore, and this is this is something, and I can understand this, which you have to think through, feel through. It's not something you do like this. So uh, I, I think we, with capitalism, we are on the way to, to, to um, disempower our capitalists, to disempower money because we have too much money in the markets and it's less and less powerful to have money. But at the moment, people, and including me, uh, uh, investors who have money are used to have the power and steward ownership questions this and this is of course um yeah, i think this is if we if we could have a big universe a big uh, like moment of of rethinking here that could help probably um we're coming to the end i'm very conscious of your time i'm very grateful for the hour what can this audience that's listening live or tape do to help you um, you can, uh, if you're an investor, you can invest in our funds uh, and get to know how this functions. Purpose Evergreen Capital is very happy 
to to get co-investors. We have, as I said, around 30 million um, under management at the moment. You can, uh, if you're an investor, you can also uh, contact us and become part of our investor network with other investors, investing institute or companies, so we can show you investments and you get to notice. If you're an entrepreneur and you are Thank interested you in this, guess. you can contact us, you and can download the book, you can um, learn about this. Uh, and uh, if you are in a company, you can make the proposal. Why, why don't we do student ownership? Uh, this is often this is a powerful thing and at least are driving the transition to student ownership. Um, and if you are a politician or connected to, um, to that, you put us in contact with them and help uh, student ownership uh, also become legal form in many countries.